parties, and then my mother would come in and mop the floors and scrub the toilets. And we still didn't have enough money, partly because my mother refused to move out of the neighborhood. We couldn't afford a good apartment in Brooklyn, but she refused to move to the projects or to some crummy neighborhood with no Italians. So we stayed in a good neighborhood in Bensonhurst, all six of us crammed into this two-bedroom apartment on Bay 11th Street. My mother clawed and struggled, and why? For the love of her kids. The Goomba mother loves her son in a special way. To the Goomba mother, her son can do no wrong. Whatever happened, it wasn't his fault. If he's in trouble, he didn't do it. She'll swear on a stack of Bibles that he's innocent. He was home the whole time. If he gets in trouble with a girl, it was the girl's fault. Always. Go into a Goomba neighborhood. Sooner or later, you'll hear two mothers screaming at each other. Your son got my daughter pregnant. It's because she had her legs open all the time, the whore. But they have three children together. That's what I mean, with her legs open all the time. I didn't get in all that much trouble when I was a kid. But my mother was always there trying to bail me out. For example, I used to get parking tickets. My mother would take them away from me and write a check. This woman was still mopping floors for 60 bucks a month. But she'd write the check, and then she'll say, Hey, don't tell your father. The Goomba mother would never take anyone's side against her child, not even her husband's. In most Goomba households, the mother will take her child's side every time. Many a Goomba has heard his mother scream at his father, Don't you touch my child! Even if he was caught red-handed, the Goomba mother defends her son. There was a story in the papers not that long ago. This Italian guy threatened to blow up an airplane in France. He said he was a terrorist and that he had a bomb. The plane made an emergency landing and the cops grabbed the guy. It turns out he didn't have a bomb and he wasn't a terrorist. But he was crazy and dangerous. He had already tried to hijack another French plane in 1999 and had hijacked an Italian train in 1998. He'd been in and out of the house. The police contacted his family. They told his mother exactly what had happened. What was his mother's response? She said, oh, no, he's done it again. I've been anxious for hours because he didn't come home for lunch. This is a classic Goomba mother. Her son is a psychotic serial hijacker of passenger jets and trains, but he's still living at home, and his mother gets worried when he's late for lunch. She's not even worried about the hijacking stuff. She just wants to know, should she keep his lunch hot or start making dinner? A Goomba mother will do anything for her children. No sacrifice is too big. She'll scrimp and save, work two jobs, lie and steal, anything. She's going to take care of her family or die. Nothing is too much. For example, we were very poor when I was growing up. No money, no father to support us. My mother would send us to the market with little notes for the grocer, promising to pay him back if he could just let us have some things on account. Or worse, we would go and pick up welfare food. We were on the food stamp program. Once a month, we were also given free food. It was all inedible. They'll give us these huge blocks of government cheese, big yellow bricks of this tasteless, odorless junk. We're the only family on the block on welfare. We were the only family I knew that had eggs for dinner because it was the only thing in the house you could cook for dinner. We had welfare eggs. My mother would send me to the market with the food stamps to buy food. By the time I was a teenager, I couldn't do it anymore. It was too embarrassing. I was 13. And I said, everybody in the neighborhood knows me. I can't go into the market with food stamps. I refuse. To this day, I can't go into the supermarket with a coupon. Somehow, we always had what we needed. We always had Christmas presents. We always had birthday presents. We always had clean clothes, even if they were usually hand-me-downs. I remember having to wear tennis shoes with holes in the soles. I had to put pieces of cardboard in there to keep from wearing holes in my socks, too. And I remember having the electricity turned off sometimes. Looking back now, that seems pretty bad. How much could it cost to keep the electricity going? A few bucks? Hey, but we didn't have it.
But it didn't stop us from doing the things we wanted. I wanted to be in Little League, but we couldn't afford the uniform or the equipment. But somehow my mother made it happen. She hustled it. She called the church and said, hey, my son wants to play ball, but we can't afford the uniform. So we got a uniform for free. She told someone else the same story, and I got a glove. This must have been hard on her dignity to go beg into the church, but she did it. She got us into all kinds of programs that way. Every summer, we'll go away to camp to this place called IBG, Italian Board of Guardians. It was for underprivileged Italian kids. It was in upstate New York. She managed to get all those kids in there, year after year. One year, I was playing ball. I was about nine. At the end of the season, I was picked for the all-star team. What an honor. This was the greatest thing that had ever happened to me. But there was a problem. The all-star game was going to be played on a Tuesday at the beginning of the summer. And summer camp at IBG started on Monday. My mother had pulled some strings to get me into the camp, so there's no way I wasn't going. But she also knew how important this all-star game was. So she called the camp and said I was sick. On Tuesday, I was in the all-star game. On Wednesday morning, she left all my brothers and sisters home alone and took me to camp. We took the train from Brooklyn into Manhattan to the Port Authority. We got a Greyhound bus from there to upstate New York. We rode about three hours to the town where the camp was. She dropped me off at the camp, kissed me goodbye, and then went back to the Greyhound station. It was three or four hours back, then the train back into Brooklyn. My mother would do anything for her kids, but to this day, she still thinks everyone is better than her because they have money. When I was a kid, I'd see something going on in the neighborhood, like someone riding a new bike or somebody's dad driving a new car, and she'll say, what do you expect? They have money. I'd say he's a mailman. She'd say, believe me, they got money. Like they inherited millions. Like someone somewhere had cheated her out of hers. It turns out she had a reason to feel this way. I didn't know until I was older, but she was adopted. And her natural father was a Jewish wise guy. He was a member of Murder Incorporated, the Jewish Mafia. He was a very dangerous guy and a very dapper guy and a very wealthy guy. No one knows who his girlfriend was, but he was fooling around with someone and he got her pregnant. He didn't want to marry her. The baby was born out of wedlock. The name listed for the mother of the birth certificate is Helen Smith, like Jane Doe. My mother was born without a mother. The wise guy raised my mother on his own for a little while. Then he met and married a girl named Sally Moskowitz. Not too long after that, he died, and things went south. Here comes the depression. There goes the money. Pretty soon, Sally is struggling. She goes from being a gangster's mall to being a factory worker. My mother gets sent out to a series of foster homes. For a while, she doesn't know where she's living from one month to the next. Then Sally meets and marries a guy named Joe. My mother gets to come home. They set up house in Bentonhurst. My mother's being raised by two people who aren't really her parents now, but things are stable. She thinks of Sally as her mother and Joe as her stepfather. And she believes in the back of her mind that her rich gangster real father has left her a pile of money somewhere and that someday she's going to get it and not have to worry about being poor ever again. That didn't happen. Instead, she met my father. When I say her life was never easy, I mean it was never easy. For a couple of years, maybe. It's not miserable. She and my father have a couple of laughs. They go dancing a lot. He's a good-looking guy and a nice dresser, and they're both good dancers. They get married over the objections of his family when she's 21 and he's only 18. Things are okay for maybe two or three years. My father had a legit job doing something for the company that made Beach Nut Gum. Then the wise guy stuff started. First it's little petty stuff on the side. Then it's bookmaking on the side. Then it's all he's doing. For the next 20 years, he never has a real job. He's doing petty criminal stuff and getting arrested and getting put in jail. He's having to run upstate and disappear for months at a time. 
He's gambling away whatever money he does make. There's never any security of any kind. No one knows where the next nickel is coming from. And the kids are arriving like trains at Penn Station. My sister Donna is born in 1951. My sister Diane is born in 1953. I'm born in 1957. My brother Richard is born in 1961. My sister Doreen comes last in 1962. My mother was born in 1928. That means my mother was 34 years old with five children, with no husband and no money, living in a two-bedroom apartment in Bensonhurst, trying to hold all this together on her own. How's a goomba not going to love a woman like that? And that's what he'll expect from his wife, too. When I was growing up, my mother knew everything about me. I told her everything. She knew who I was friends with, what we did, who I was dating, even who I was fooling around with. You might think a goomba would never discuss sex with his mother. Wrong. She not only talks about it, she practically participates vicariously. My mother, she'd look at a picture or point at a girl in the street and say, her, and I'd say, yeah, ma, I'm giving her a little. My friend Frank told me he used to bring girls home to introduce to his mother when they were back home in Canarsie. He'll bring the girl to the house, and she'll sit with his mother for a few minutes. After, his mother would say something like, I don't know, Frankie, that one seems a little sneaky to me. That was it. Frankie would never see her again. Then he moved to Las Vegas and turned into a player, hit on every girl he met. He started dating strippers and hookers. Later, he moved his mother and father out to Las Vegas and got them a townhouse right next to his. He kept on bringing girls home to meet his mother, but just as a goof. He'll introduce these strippers just to shock his mother. One day he was having coffee with his mom when his cell phone rings. It's this girl he's been seeing. She says she's in the neighborhood. He tells her he's having coffee with his mother and tells the girl to come over. Fifteen minutes later, she comes in with a box of pastries. She's wearing a $2,000 Donna Karen dress. She's got a $50,000 diamond around her neck. She's beautiful. She has a cup of coffee, and then Frankie takes her back to his place. Frankie's mother was so impressed. She said, that was a nice girl, Frankie. I know she's not a stripper. She's got too much class. The suit, the jewelry, the pastries. What does she do? Real estate? Frankie said, sort of, Ma. She's a hooker. My mother never told me about sex. She never sat me down and explained anything to me. And I was never explicit with her about what I was doing. But she'd joke with me. She'd say, don't you get a girl pregnant? Don't you ever get any girl pregnant? She was joking, but she wasn't joking. That was as much as she could say about it. For some goombas, this relationship never changes. A lot of goombas live at home until they get married. And some of them don't get married. Or they don't get married until they're in their 40s or 50s. I know some guys who have always lived at home. Their fathers have passed away. Now their mothers wait on them hand and foot like they used to wait on their fathers. My friend Frank is a very successful guy. He makes over 200000 a year. He's 43 years old, but his mother still picks up his laundry from her townhouse next door and washes and dries and irons it for him. And yet he still yells at her if it isn't done properly. Frank's still single, and he's a very active bachelor, and believe me, his mother knows everything that goes on in this house. She's washing his shorts. You can't keep any secrets from the woman that washes your underwear. I know guys who live in three-story buildings in the neighborhood. It's supposed to be three different houses, but they're fixed, so it really is one big house. The main floor is where there's the kitchen and the dining room and the other room, the living room, with all the plastic slipcovers on the furniture where no one ever goes. Upstairs from that are the bedrooms. Downstairs, the basement apartment. The parents live in the basement apartment. The Goomba lives on the main floor, which he shares, of course, with his parents. 
And upstairs, he shares that with his brother and his brother's wife and family. Everybody eats together and shares the same telephone and shares the same bathroom. This is the big thing with the Goomba. Stay close. Everyone is yelling. Everyone is on top of everyone else. There's no such thing as privacy, but you got to stay close. And it all starts with the mother. Non-Goombas, especially guys from the wasp community, won't understand this. I heard a wasp joke once, in fact. This wasp guy calls his mother on the phone. He says, Mother, I'm sorry, but something's come up. I can't come over for dinner tonight. And his mother says, That's okay, dear. We'll do it another time. Now, in the Goomba household, this can never happen. A Goomba who calls his mother and says he's not coming for dinner is going to get a terrible beating, over the phone or in person. His mother may take a contract out on him. She's going to yell and scream and lay on the guilt so heavy that most Goombas won't be able to make the call in the first place. Whatever it is that comes up, forget about it. You're going to dinner at your mother's house. Nothing cancels that. Most Goombas love their mothers deep down inside, no matter how crazy their mothers may make them. They're always trying to do the right thing. This starts very early in life. The Goomba son is always trying to please his Goomba mother. I remember my friend Joe telling me about being a kid in Brooklyn. He'll go to church every Sunday like a good Italian Goomba boy. On Mother's Day, the church would have little flowers for sale and little pots so that each Goomba could take home a present for his mother. Joe was very poor, probably because he lost all his money gambling. He didn't have a buck to buy a flower for his mother on Mother's Day. So he did the natural Goomba thing. He stole two flowers in pots and brought them home to present to his mother. There are some things, though, that a real Goomba can never say to his mother or do to his mother. You want some evidence? Go back and watch the first season of The Sopranos. Tony Soprano's mother was the most evil, backstabbing, vicious mother in history. May God rest her soul. At the time of her death, she was getting ready to put a hit on her own son. Her own son, her firstborn baby. And Tony, what could he do? He knew this was going on, but what could he do? Could a Goomba man take a contract out on his own mother, even in self-defense? Never. Brotherly love, a Goomba and his buddies. Now, maybe you thought for the Goomba that love is all about the opposite sex. You couldn't be more wrong. There's almost nothing more important to a Goomba than friendship. A Goomba friend is a friend for life. You grow up with a guy, you get to know a guy, you spend some time with a guy, that's permanent. Unless a guy turns out to be a rat or a backstabber, once he's a friend, he's a friend forever. Your best friend from eighth grade is going to be the best man at your wedding, the godfather to your children, and the pallbearer at your funeral. I'm still close to guys I met in elementary school. We don't live in the same city or have the same interests or do the same work or even know the same people anymore. 